as we all sit home and self-quarantine and look at photos and videos of empty streets and find no sports game to watch on TV or attend, it just it feels like the unthinkable has happened. Baseball is gone. Been shut down as a safety measure to keep COVID-19 from spreading. When will it return? Nobody can say. But this isn't the first time a worldwide pandemic has struck baseball. In fact, history shows us how bad the situation got, and it provides us hope for our own future. Baseball's Other Pandemic, today on Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. And welcome to another episode, everybody. I am your host, Jeff Lambert, and welcome to another episode of Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. Man, it's been a long time, everyone. I missed you, and it feels good to be back in front of the microphone again. Life's been crazy. With this quarantine shutdown, I've been thinking a lot about baseball. You know, it hasn't... uh, hasn't been going on in our lives, and I miss doing this podcast, and I received messages over the past few months from people who listen to the show asking, you know, when's the new episode coming out? We miss it. And uh, I guess all of those things together just motivated me to sit down and start researching again, and I thought, what better way to bring the show back than to talk about an event that paralleled what we're all going through right now. So I'm excited to discuss this, Uh, did a lot of great reading on the topic, I can't wait to share what I found with you. And uh, before we get to that, I just real quickly want to uh, mention one of the sponsors of the show now, and the name of that organization is Risen Inbound. Risen Inbound is a marketing firm in Miami, and they're focused on helping businesses grow and reach today's 21st century customer. Risen works with companies across the globe, from local startups to international corporations, and they help build meaningful relationships with potential and returning customers. So if you are looking for an experienced, friendly, and results-driven team that can help your business grow, check out Risen. They are available at the website www.gorisen.com, that's Risen with a Z, or you can follow them on social media. They're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And their username is Risen Inbound. That's one word, Risen Inbound. I couldn't think of a a better time for businesses to reach out to a marketing partner that can help them because times have changed. We're in the middle of a very different economy right now, and uh, we have to, you know, change tactics on how we go about business. So I would encourage my listeners out there who uh, have a small business or looking to adjust their messaging. Uh, Risen's a great company to work for. Uh, that is my current company, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor for the show. Uh, overall, thank you, everybody, for tuning into another episode. I don't want to hold this back much longer. I do want to mention two people that reached out on social media. Uh, Alex on Instagram, who reached out. Thank you so much for the words of encouragement. He was uh, talking about how much he and his girlfriend enjoy the show, and you know they've missed it, and they reached out and they were asking how long until a new episode comes in. So, you know, I'm very excited to announce that here we go. And the other person I just wanted to mention very quickly was 
Elaine on Facebook. Elaine also reached out with some great ideas for some future topics. Elaine, I've put those in my queue, and we will get to those. So thank you so much for the words and for everybody else. Uh, I appreciate the support. I can't wait to uh, get the show going again, and uh, we're going to get through this time together, everybody, and baseball is going to help us get through it. So without anything else to say, let's get to the topic for this episode, baseball's other pandemic. Coronavirus is not the first and probably won't be the last health emergency to affect professional baseball. So we're going to look at and see how past generations dealt with their loss of America's game. COVID-19, or as we know it commonly, coronavirus, has brought professional baseball to a halt as both the U.S. and the world are doing their best to figure out how to stop this virus's spread. Let's just take a quick look at the timeline of how the current crisis has affected Major League Baseball. So on March 9, 2020, baseball was worried about the spread of coronavirus, but they announced they would continue regular season spring training schedules, and they wouldn't be postponing the start of the season at that point. They did take some precautionary steps, They limited clubhouse access to players and essential personnel only, and members of the media were no longer allowed in spring training clubhouses. Fast forward to just three days later, March 12, the MLB announced that spring training games were canceled and that the start of the regular season had been pushed back for two weeks. Fast forward another four days later to March 16, and the MLB announced that the start of the 2020 season would be pushed back until at least the end of May. Tom Hodricourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel tweeted out that he had heard from inside sources that an early July start date for the regular season was considered the best case scenario. On March 19th, the MLB canceled their international series that they had planned in Puerto Rico and Mexico City. And that's basically where I find ourselves right now in terms of plans by the MLB. Uh, To date, Two minor league players who are both in the Yankees minor league system have been confirmed to have contracted coronavirus. It's also rumored that Yankees manager Aaron Boone, who went home uh, feeling ill about a week ago at this point, I believe, may have coronavirus as well. Now, overall, worldwide, again to date, coronavirus has killed more than 14,000 people worldwide with 400 in the United States. Worldwide, we're looking at 315,000 people that have been infected and 38,000 in the U.S. alone. And that's going to increase exponentially as more testing becomes available. Nobody knows what's going to happen in general or when baseball is going to start. We're all just kind of waiting and hoping and praying for the best. In 1918, another worldwide pandemic wreaked havoc on the planet. And it, too, affected baseball. So let's look at how the two compare. The classic story goes that in 1918, soldiers coming back from World War I, which was still in progress during this time, and it wouldn't conclude for another year, came back to the United States complaining of flu-like symptoms. Now, this, this classic take is not 100% accurate, and I want to talk about why that's the case. Uh, the, the documented, uh, I guess you could say, uh, common thinking is that those first documented cases were from those soldiers that came 
from Boston, where a warship came in from Spain. This is incorrect. Uh, the flu did not originate in Spain, and it didn't come back directly to Boston first. There are three different historians who have found evidence that the flu originated in Kansas, not Spain. And it had begun infecting the military camps in the local area as early as 1917, a year before soldiers came back to Boston complaining of these, flu these flu-like symptoms. The running theory is that the strain of flu had developed from soldiers eating infected chickens and pigs, and then they were deployed overseas, where obviously these flu-like symptoms spread through a very sickly, malnourished army from many countries. You have people trapped in the trenches in close quarters, uh, certainly uh, unhygienic conditions. So really the perfect uh, place for a sickness like this to just spread like wildfire. There's another historian who's on record saying that he believes that the uh, flu originated in New York during this time. But overall, one thing that seems very likely is that the 1918 flu virus, virus probably began in the United States, not in Spain. Now, during this time, and, and historically, we call this flu pandemic that started in 1918, it was given the nickname the Spanish flu. But this wasn't because the flu originated there. See, Spain was neutral during World War I, and other European countries around them obviously censored any news going about, out, about any sicknesses that were running through the military. So there were no reports coming out from other countries outside of Spain during this time that people were getting sick from this mysterious flu. So people naturally thought, well, all of these uh, reports are coming out of Spain. This must be where it originated. This is also, Spain was a place where a lot of soldiers were sent uh, when they weren't on the front lines because it was a neutral space. So they would go there, and of course, they were bringing these symptoms back with them. They were getting sick in Spain, and then they were being loaded on ships and sent back to the United States. So again, just, just all of the cases coming from Spain and Spain being the only place that was really reporting it led to that assumption. And then, of course, on top of that, in 1917, you had the king of Spain, King Alfonso. He caught the flu, this mysterious flu, and that was a high-profile news story worldwide. So there was a panic initially over the flu being of Spanish origin just because that was the popular uh, place where it seemed to be coming from. So hence the name Spanish flu. But again, the origins of the flu probably started in the United States. So how does this flu compare to coronavirus, what we have today? Well, uh, the Spanish flu, the influenza of 1918, was uh, not a fun thing to get. But there are some differences from coronavirus. If we look at something that the U.S. Surgeon General Rupert Blue wrote in 1918, this is how he described the sickness. He said that, quote, people are stricken on the streets or while at work. First, there is a chill, then fever with temperatures from 101 to 103. They get headache, backache, and reddening and running of the eyes, pains and aches all over the body, and general prostration. Persons so attacked should go to their homes at once and get into bed without delay and immediately call a physician, end quote. Another physician is on record as recalling that these influenza patients in 1918, quote, died struggling to clear their airways of a blood-tinged froth that sometimes gushed from their nose and mouth, end quote. Another major difference uh, between the 1918 flu pandemic and the one that we are facing currently is that this pandemic in 1918 mostly killed young adults. 
we see coronavirus affecting mostly the elderly uh, portions of our population. Just to illustrate that, between 1918 and 1919, 99% of pandemic flu deaths in the U.S. occurred in people under 65 years old. And nearly half of those deaths were in young adults between 20 and 40 years old. Now, obviously, this is unusual because influenza is typically most deadly to people who are elderly or people who are just generally weak immune system individuals, such as infants uh, under age two, like I said, adults over 70, anybody that has any type of autoimmune disorder. But the large majority of cases uh, during this pandemic in 1918 affected young people, not old people. In addition, this flu strain in 1918, it was H1N1 based. And if that sounds familiar, that is the same strain that popped up in 2009, the one that we nicknamed the swine flu. So the 1918 Spanish flu and the swine flu are both H1N1 based, just to give you an idea of where they come from. But they were both respiratory based and both, you know, obviously wreaked havoc on the population as we see a lot of people getting infected now. So we go back to 1918, cases of the flu are beginning to spike as we get into the spring and the summer, more and more troops are returning home. So by the end of spring and early summer, some states, they're realizing that they need to do something and they have to put steps in place to mandate social distancing and banning large events. So baseball took some steps immediately in 1918. They allowed players to wear masks during games, and you can see pictures of this online, and I'm going to post some links in the show notes of players at bat wearing these masks. Uh, baseball also was smart enough to ban the spitball to prevent transmission of the disease. They had figured out enough that, you know, th that uh, the virus could be spread by, you know, um, saliva or body fluids. So the spitball was obviously banned. And we talk about the spitball in an earlier episode anyways, of how that works, if you want to go back. But even with these steps, no one really grasped how serious this was getting. And you have to keep in mind, it's 1918. There's a world war going on. People are dying left and right and coming home. The population is generally malnourished, so people get sick very easily. Uh, waves of viruses and disease are spreading through during this time. So just general poor hygiene and malnourishment and I guess being used to sicknesses killing people is pretty common still during this time. You know, keep in mind, yellow fever, typhoid, other illnesses, these hadn't been wiped out yet. So, you know, all of a sudden people getting sick with something, there was a concern, but I don't think people realized the scope of it yet. So there were some initial steps to take. But baseball continued. It resumed. Games kept being played during this time, you know, outside of those small steps that were taken. But by the end of the summer of 1918, the MLB decided eh, we, we should probably cut the season short. So they cut a month off, the, this, off, off of the season, excuse me, and they actually played their World Series in September. That was the year that the Red Sox beat the Chicago Cubs in six games. It's also the only World Series that was played completely in September. And to give this 1918 World Series that happened earlier a little bit more clout, this was the last season that Babe Ruth played for the Red Sox. And it was the last championship that the Red Sox won for 86 years. Uh, the curse not being lifted until 86 years later. Now, I did mention at the end of the summer that the MLB decided to cut a month off the season. So since we're talking about the flu and rising up, you would naturally think, well, they canceled the flu because of the worsening conditions. But Again, that's not true. 
The season was shortened, actually not due to the spreading effects of the Spanish flu. It was canceled because the Secretary of War issued what's called a work or fight order in 1918. And that was mandating that all able-bodied men either enlist or work directly in the war effort. Uh, Baseball and all professional sports uh, were seen increasingly as frivolous during this time in the middle of a major war. And so this work or fight order basically forced um, professional baseball to shut down. So although there were growing concerns about this flu pandemic, the reason that baseball cut the season short was not because they uh, were taking any additional steps in that regard. The pandemic didn't really get full scale on like everybody freaking out until the winter, the fall and the winter of 1918. Uh, And that's when you see sports really starting to take it seriously. So just to illustrate that, the NHL actually canceled its Stanley Cup after five players were infected with the flu. And the two teams were labeled co-champions. So in addition to that, the U.S. banned all international travel at that point, and they instituted mandatory quarantines nationwide. So how did baseball regroup for the 1919 season? We're in the winter. There's only a couple more months until the next season. People are dying left and right. How were some of the teams and players affected? Let's take a quick break for the seventh inning stretch, and then we'll discuss. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for staying with us. Let's just take a minute to recap what we've discussed so far in terms of comparing the current uh, coronavirus pandemic that we find ourselves in and the 1918 influenza pandemic that struck. So just to recap, in the spring of 1918, there was a mysterious flu virus that became exponentially growing in number as U.S. troops returned home from World War I. As the summer and fall rolled in, Infections started spiking, and even though baseball cut its season short by a month, it was due to a war order and not the growing virus. The MLB did allow players to wear masks, and they banned practices like using the spitball as safety precautions. But the season ended, and then all hell broke loose in American society during the fall and winter during baseball's offseason. So just how bad did it get? Well, as we mentioned before, cases were piling up quickly in the United States, and it was mainly due to two reasons. Number one, obviously, there was no vaccination for this influenza strain that had been invented yet. We talked about the fact that there was widespread uh, malnutrition and poor health due to wartime conditions. And on top of that, many physicians and doctors that were available during this time were actually overseas fighting in World War I. So even getting proper hard care was really hard to find. And then, of course, more and more troops are coming home, and many had contracted this disease while being on the front lines. So they're in close quarters, they're catching this, they're bringing it home, and that caused numbers to just really skyrocket as the war wound down. So as the bodies are piling up and people are scared and not sure what to do, the U.S. government took steps to limit the spread of the virus. So by the wintertime, we see that stores were not allowed to sell any non-essential goods. 
Sounds familiar, right? Any funerals that were held in person had to be limited to 15 minutes. Some towns required that you have a signed certificate to enter, and railroads couldn't accept passengers without these certificates, so there's a ban on travel, on non-essential travel. Anybody who ignored these flu ordinances had to pay really steep fines, and they were enforced by extra officers that were put on duty just to make sure that people were taking this seriously. In addition to that, as time went on, there became a shortage of coffins, of morticians and grave diggers. Everybody was scared, and they were uh, afraid to go near anybody who was infected or had died from the infection. And because of this, bodies just started piling up, especially in the cities, as these massive waves of of death rolled through as the epidemic got worse. There are records uh, in Philadelphia, for example, some street corners, people were just stacking bodies on the corners like like refuse, uh, waiting for someone to take them away because there was no place to put them and no one who was willing to do anything about the issue. Uh, In terms of entertainment, you know, sports and baseball in general, it stopped basically, you know, uh, in the fall and the in the winter and baseball was obviously during its off season. But just to give you an example of some of the steps that were taking any event with a large crowd was banned. Officials canceled any high school and college football games that were to occur, hockey games, soccer matches around the world. Uh, these all came to a stop. There was a really highly uh, anticipated boxing match between the legendary Jack Dempsey and battling Levinsky that was actually canceled during this time because of these social distancing ordinances. Any competition schedules that I mentioned, you know, college programs, they were all just stopped and cut short. So we see basically a stoppage of American life and people just trying to grasp at a way to get under control of this. But the death count obviously was just uh, spiraling out of control. So how did that affect baseball? We're in the offseason. Obviously, some players and teams were affected by this uh, during this time. Let's talk a little bit about some of the more notable players uh, and how teams were impacted by um, the, the deaths that occurred uh, due to this. So the highest profile figure in baseball to die from Spanish flu was an umpire, and his name was Francis Silk O'Loughlin. Now, how did he get the nickname Silk? He stated in an interview that it was given to him at an early age, and it referred to his soft head of hair. In his exact words from an interview, he said, quote, When I was a little duffer, about five years of age, my folks thought I was getting too old to wear the long silken curls that then hung artistically over my shoulders, so a relative snipped them off. Somebody called me Silk, and the name stuck. Now it is seldom anyone that calls me Frank, end quote. So Silk O'Loughlin was about as popular as a baseball figure could get during this time. He was a larger-than-life individual. He was a household name for baseball fans. And what really popularized him was he had this outlandish style for play calling. He was one of the major umpires that worked the circuit for Major League Baseball, uh, and he really uh, got the crowd into the games. So he was the guy who popularized loud vocal counts of balls and strikes, He was especially known for his signature saying, you would go strike two to let the batter know when he had two strikes on him. He was the one that would make those loud cries of foul ball when they occurred. 
And he also did those drawn out loud strike three calls that we see mimicked in old cartoons and pop culture references. That was mimicking Silk. He popularized that. Just to give you an example of this uh, type of style that kind of became synonymous with baseball umpires, let's take a listen to a sound clip from that very popular Disney cartoon, uh, the cartoon short Casey at Bat. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. And I just want you to listen to the reference of the umpire making the call. This was mimicking Silk and the, uh, you know, the style that he made popular. to the pitcher, and what's more, the steroid floor. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, quote, the right to, unquote. Fraud cried the Madden's houses, and the echo answered, fraud! But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. So there you have it. You have a reference to a style of play calling that Silk O'Loughlin popularized. Now, why did Silk call balls and strikes this way? Well, he said in an interview once that, quote, the patrons of the game like to hear an umpire. I think, too, that it enlivens the game to have the decisions given in a sharp, brisk way, end quote. Now, in addition to his outlandish play calling, some observers also credit him for developing arm signals as a means of communicating calls. You know, like when we see the balls and strikes hand motions, that was supposedly silk as well. Although there's a lot of argument back and forth on who exactly is responsible, he's a popular person that uh, made it a common thing at least. So I'm going to do an episode on Silk just because he's such an interesting figure. I spent a lot of time reading about him in relation to this. But going back to the 1918 pandemic, O'Loughlin was the biggest figure that died during this, this time. He actually died at his apartment in Boston, where he was working in the off-season for the Department of Justice. He contracted the influenza during the winter and really only lasted a short time and ended up succumbing to the to the illness and his wife Agnes also got sick the same time as he did, but she survived the influenza bout and she received his entire estate, which was $25,000 at the time. So newspapers across the country, they reported that Silk had died and his passing was just really mourned by the players, the fans, the owners, everybody just really looked up to him, not only for uh, the style that he made popular and helped the game grow, but he was known as being a, a fair arbiter of calls. He took his job really seriously. And I want to talk about that more when I do an episode on him. He was just a, a well-respected guy. Uh, to illustrate that, Clark Griffith, who was the manager and co-owner of the Washington Senators during this time, he had this to say about Silk, quote, his death is a real loss to baseball. No squarer or more honest official ever made decisions in a ballpark. He had the courage of his convictions always and was admired and respected by players and fans alike, end quote. Now, in addition to Silk, baseball suffered other deaths of active players due to the influenza pandemic as well. For example, Cy Swain, who was a minor leaguer who played from 1904 to 14, he was known as the home run king of the West. He split his time between minor league play and playing for different professional clubs across the United States. But just to illustrate his prowess in being able to hit, he actually slugged 39 home runs in 1913, which was a large number, of course, during this time. 
Now, in 1914, which was the last year of his playing career, he lost his leg due to an accident. So that's what cut his career short. But he didn't leave baseball. He actually formed his own team that played in the offseason, and he named it the Independence. It was a mixture of minor and uh, professional league players that would play across the West Coast, other baseball clubs during this time. So while he was managing the team, we, we moved to 1918, he contracted the flu early on, actually, in the year, and he passed away. Um, his brother, who worked with him frequently, also caught the disease, and two weeks after Cy died, his brother died as well. So that's another example of a popular figure, especially on the West Coast, that died due to the influenza pandemic. In addition to that, uh, Laverne Ashford, whose nickname was Larry, so Larry Chapel, he was an outfielder for the Chicago White Sox. He also played for the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Braves, and he played from 1913 to 17 before he retired. Now, uh, Chapel was a very good baseball player and, um, you know, well-known by baseball fans. Uh, to give him a claim to fame outside of just being a solid ball player during this time, he was the player that the White Sox traded when they acquired Shoeless Joe Jackson in 1915. He was like the main chip that they sent to get Shoeless back. Now, uh, Chappell, Chappell, I'm not sure how I it's correctly pronounced, but he supposedly contracted the uh, flu pandemic while serving in France. He was an army doctor during the war and he contracted it. His situation deteriorated, deteriorated, excuse me, very quickly. And he was sent back to San Francisco where he died in the hospital uh, during that time. So in addition to Cy, in addition to Larry, we have uh, Harry Melville Glenn, whose nickname was Husky during this time, and he was a catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, as the war broke out, he was drafted almost immediately, and he served as an aviation mechanic during the war, and he fully expected to come back when it was over and resume his baseball career. But he also contracted the disease while overseas, and he died in the fall of 1918. There were several other uh, minor league players that died as a result of this flu. Some of those names include Leo McGraw. He was a catcher who played from 1910 to 1916. There was Dave Roth, who was a pitcher between 1912 and 1916. And Harry Acton, who was a pitcher who played uh, in 1917. So uh, we see, you know, household names being affected by this. We see minor league players who uh, may not have been known by the general baseball fan, but certainly, uh, you know, played at a high level who also succumbed to this disease. Uh, in addition to that, Babe Ruth was actually reportedly contract. Uh, he reportedly contracted the flu twice during this pandemic. Um, the first time around, he caught it during spring training and it was widely reported that he was on his deathbed by national newspapers and he ended up catching it a second time, but he pulled through obviously both times, but, uh, you know, certainly, uh, he became another, you know, big name in the newspapers that this is spreading to everybody and, and helped, uh, you know, spread the fear, I guess you could say overall of who's next. Uh, baseball also suffered deaths of well-known media members too, in addition to players, Eddie Martin, he was a well-known sports writer for the Boston Globe during this time. Uh, he was also the secretary of the local chapter of Baseball Writers Association of America, and he was one of the official scorers in the 1918 World Series. He caught the influenza um, and uh, also died during this time. And then there was another baseball writer from Philadelphia who was well-known, and his name was Chandler Richter, and he also died from the flu. 
So overall, baseball suffered deaths right alongside the rest of the population, and it wasn't spared from the flu's reach. Now, as the uh, flu went on and we saw spikes and then uh, declines in the amount of people that got sick and died, there were three waves to the 1918 influenza uh, epidemic. And, um, you know, it caused widespread fear. People avoided each other. Like I said, we saw a massive amount of deaths uh, pile up during this time. Uh, As we roll into the spring, the flu subsided. and it went away largely. Uh, no vaccine was ever uh, rolled out. Uh, it just went away. So we see life starting to get back to normal. And as the spring of 1919 rolled around, baseball started on time. And it really helped the country heal from the horrors of this experience. Now, all in all, the worldwide death toll is estimated to have been anywhere from 17 to 50 million people. That could possibly be as high as 100 million. And that makes it one of the deadliest epidemics in human history. Now, baseball in 1919, like I said, it resumed as normal. But another major scandal was right around the corner after this influenza epidemic in baseball. And that was the 1919 World Series scandal, which we are going to discuss in a future episode. Now, if you'd like to read more on this topic, there's two books that I would highly recommend if you're interested. You know, we're, we're all stuck inside right now. So if you're looking for a good book recommendation, there's two books that I read researching this topic. One of them is called War Fever by Randy Roberts and John Smith. And it overviews the pandemic's destruction, particularly in Boston. But it talks a lot about baseball and baseball players in the book. I would, I would highly recommend it. And the other book is called September 1918. War, Plague, and the World Series. And that's written by author Skip Desjardins. Both are really excellent reads, and I would recommend during self-quarantine, if you're looking for a new book, pick these up. I'll put the links to the books uh, on Amazon in the show notes if you're interested. But overall, just to close everybody, remember, baseball endured in 1918, and it gave people hope in the aftermath. And I think baseball can do that for us today. We just need to believe that a better tomorrow is around the corner. Just as we look forward to the end of winter and pitchers and catchers reporting in the spring, baseball's going to be back, and we're going to be back. Just hang on. We're going to get there. And that brings this episode to a close. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate the support. Remember to share the podcast with a friend, especially during this time for any baseball fan that uh, needs to pick me up. I'm hoping this can do the trick. And uh, if you can leave a review on the podcast app of choice, that is always welcome. And I appreciate the feedback. And always remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball.